Would you uh, open your Bible with me, please, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If you're uh, visiting with us here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. All you need to do is just slip up your hand right where you are, and our ushers are ready to come down the aisle and give one to you. And uh, just slip up your hand, and we would love uh, for you to take that Bible home. That's our gift to you. And uh, we pray that you take it home and read it, and uh, we're going to pray that your life is changed by it. And once you have that Bible in your hand, uh, find the book of Romans. That's in the New Testament. Second part of the Bible uh, goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. And once you're there, uh, you can find chapter 6. Of course, the reason that we gather together this morning is because of what happened on another morning more than 2,000 years ago. Only days before that morning, Jesus of Nazareth, who himself claimed to be the Son of God, was nailed to a cross where he died for the sins of his people. By the time, uh, actually when that that morning came around more than 2,000 years ago, two women, both named Mary, went to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And by the time that they got there, an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, rolled the stone away from the foot of the tomb where Jesus was buried, sat on top of this massive boulder, looked down at these two women who had come to the tomb and said to them, don't be afraid. Now, I don't know how an experience like that would play out for you, but if that were me, and I was walking to the tomb of a friend who had been buried just a few days before, and I get there only to find out that the stone in front of the tomb has been rolled away, and an angel from heaven has come down and sat down on top of this massive boulder and is now looking down at me and telling me, don't be afraid. The first thing I am is afraid, right? Anybody else with me on that? Right? You're kind of afraid. You're kind of freaked out, right? And yet, nevertheless, the angel looks at these two women and says to them, don't be afraid. I know that you're here looking for Jesus, but he is not here. He is risen from the dead, just like he said. And all the people after that who heard the news that Jesus was now alive, the Bible says, were filled with fear and they were filled with joy at the same time. And they began to tell all of the other people that Jesus was alive as well. Fast forward now, many years later, and a man named Saul is walking down a road going to a place called Damascus, and he's going there for the singular purpose of killing and persecuting Christians. But while he's walking down this road, this same Jesus, who has risen from the dead years before, appears to him and radically transforms his life so that Saul is no longer now killing and persecuting Christians, but instead he is laying his life down to teach those very Christians how much God actually loves them. Fast forward yet again, and a few years later, and this Saul, whose name is now Paul, he's writing this book of Romans to a group of Christians to help them better understand everything that this risen Jesus has accomplished for them in his death and in his resurrection. And his main point as he makes his way through the book of Romans is that when a person believes in the risen Jesus, they are justified. In other words, they are declared innocent And they are made right in their relationship with God. And now, in Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us how this single reality can totally change your life. In fact, he tells us that if you believe in this risen Jesus, in fact, he says, when you believe in this risen Jesus, then all of life as we know it is totally changed. 
Now, I'm sure that in a group this size, that there are some of us here today who need to hear a message like that. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, whether you came to church this morning to celebrate your risen Savior or you came to church today because you were invited by a friend or for whatever reason it is that you happen to be here this morning, I have to imagine that in a group this size again, there are some of us here, probably many of us here, who need a message of hope. Because the reality is that some of us sitting in the room right now, we are overwhelmed by life. And you think about your life right now. You think about what you have going on and, and all of the balls that you keep trying to juggle and keep them up in the air all at the same time. And, and you think about those things and, and there's certain thoughts that come into your mind and certain emotions that start to come into your heart. And so when you think about everything that's going on in your life, you start to think about fear and worry and anxiety and doubt, concern, grief, pain, anger, depression. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And if you honestly look at your life right now, you don't need a new circumstance. You don't just need a new beginning. An honest look would reveal that what you really need is new life. You need new life. And so if that's where you are this morning, if, if that's kind of your life right now, then I have some really, really good news for you today. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that new life is possible for you because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, as a follower of Jesus Christ, for those of us who are here today and we've surrendered our lives to him, we're walking in obedience, walking in a relationship with him. As a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you this morning on Easter Sunday to be reminded of these glorious truths that are true for you because the risen Jesus has made these things possible for you, not just today on Easter Sunday, but he has made these things possible for you every single day of your life as you walk in relationship with him. So take a look with me now at Romans chapter six. We're gonna walk through 10 verses and I want you to see this morning from this passage three resurrection realities. Three resurrection realities. Here's the first. You might wanna jot this down. When I believe in the risen Jesus, I can know that I am forever changed. I can know that I am forever changed. Let's start at verse one. Romans chapter six, verse one. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, let's stop there just for a second and, and keep in mind here that we're kind of picking up on this conversation right in the middle. So just to fill in a few gaps for us here, just before this, Paul has been talking about how gracious God is to us. So gracious, in fact, that God forgives us freely of our sins when we ask him to. And that, friends, is the good news of Easter. God is gracious. He is so gracious because he loves us so much. And what is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is an act of kindness that is done for you or it's done to you that you don't deserve. And the Bible tells us from the very beginning that we are all sinners and we're all separated from God. That we are sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of God's standards for living. And the Bible says that our sin is so offensive to the very nature of God. And yet, God has shown grace to us by giving Jesus to take the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to. 
So Paul now is reminding them in Romans chapter 6 of all of this because there were some people in their gathering who had it in their mind, well, if we just keep living in the sin that is so offensive to God, then won't that just make his grace all the more amazing when he actually forgives us? And isn't that sometimes how we live too? Sometimes we kind of want to live by that philosophy as well, like, like we want to have our spiritual cake and eat it too, Right? Like, like we know, yes, I, I want to be saved by God's grace. I know that I need to be saved by God's grace. But at the same time, I want to keep all of these other things in my life as well that I know are not pleasing to God. Like, why can't I just keep one hand in the world and one hand in the Bible? Isn't that okay? Because in the end, doesn't that just make so much more of the amazing nature of God's grace when he actually forgives me of my sin? And Paul's answer to them in verse 2 is super clear. Look at verse 2. He says, by no means. Like, how can we who died to sin still live in it? See, the Bible says here, if you really understand what you have been saved from, and if you really understand the power of the grace that has saved you from it, then it doesn't make sense for you to keep living in it. Here's the thing. Easter tells us not only the story of the presence of grace, but Easter also tells us the story of the power of grace. Because it's the power of grace that that he says in verse 2, he says, we have died to sin. We have died to sin. You say, well, well, hang on just a second, time out here, because, because I have a question. And you say, well, I'm a Christian, so if I have died to sin, then why do I still struggle with it so much? Like, if I've died to sin, then why am I still tempted to do things that I know are not pleasing to God? So what does it mean then that as a follower of Jesus that I have died to sin? It means that at the moment that you become a Christian by confessing your sinfulness and trusting in Jesus, at that moment, sin is no longer the controlling power within your life. Because at the moment of your salvation, a greater power has entered your life. In other words, sin still has power, right? We see it around us all the time, right? And we feel it within us every single day. Like, we can all testify to that. We, we feel that in us. But the point here is that sin can no longer force its will upon you. See, we may still sin. In fact, the Bible's going to say in the next chapter in Romans 7 that we will still sin and we're still going to struggle with sin. That fight is going to keep going on within us every day of our lives. But the point that Paul's making here is that you don't have to sin because you've died to it. You don't have to sin. Why? Because that's the power of the grace that has saved you. Think of it like this. Imagine that Um, There's a country that's ruled by a military that is absolutely ruthless. And this military dominates the people who live in this country every opportunity that they get. But then there's a new military that comes in and they overthrow the old military that had been ruling over the people. And the new military is a lot kinder and they are a lot gentler. The old military is still in the country, but they have been pushed to the fringes. They've been pushed to the outskirts of the country. And they still ruffle feathers once in a while. They still make things a little messy every now and then. But the old military doesn't have the same power that they used to have because they have been overtaken. And now the people of the country live under the authority of the new military that is a lot kinder and gentler. 
See, when you become a Christian, you no longer live under the authority of the old forces within your life. The old forces still have a presence, but they do not have the same power because the power of grace has overtaken them. So do you realize what that means for us? Do you realize what that means for you and for me as we live every single day? It means that as a Christian, fear is no longer the dominating force within your life. It means that as a follower of Jesus, as those of us who are walking in relationship with the risen Jesus Christ, it means that anxiety and anger and addiction and failure and insecurity and depression and shame and regret, those are no longer the dominating forces within our life. Why? Because of the power of the risen Jesus, grace has come in and taken over and now Jesus reigns within your life. Jesus is the ruling force within your life. And that, friends, that is the good news of Easter. Now, everything changes. Because Jesus died on the cross on Friday, and when he rose again on Sunday, man, just like that, everything's new. Everything's different. Everything changes within us. That means then that that I don't have to get swallowed up by the things in life that lead to death. That means that that you and I don't have to get swallowed up by the things in life that are themselves death. That instead, I can be forever changed by the one who actually is himself life. He is the resurrection and the life. Which leads us right into what Paul says next in verse 3. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is actually a, a pretty powerful illustration that he uses right here. He's talking about baptism, of course. We had uh, five people in our church who were baptized just last weekend and all telling the absolutely amazing story, but telling the same story as what Paul's talking about right here. See, when, when a person gets baptized, it's all about identifying with Jesus. So when a person gets into the water and, and they, they go down into the water, that's identifying with the death of Jesus. And when they're down in the water and they're surrounded by the water, they're covered on every side by the water and they stay down there just for a little bit, that's identifying with the burial of Jesus. Like, Lord willing, they're coming back up, right? Like, let's all just make sure we're clear on that. And then then they actually do come back up. And when they come back up out of the water, that's identifying with the resurrection of Jesus. Like all of that, that entire act there is a symbol of what's actually taken place in a person's relationship with God. When we become a Christian, we are so immersed by Jesus that not only do we completely identify with him, but our entire identity is reshaped by him. So what Paul is saying here is that when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin. And so when you became a Christian, when you were given life in Jesus, that victory was given to you as well. So we are baptized into his death. In fact, he takes it a step further in verse 4. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Burial, by the way, was the final proof of death. He goes on in verse 4 and says, In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Listen, just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Like this is not like when you upgrade your phone. 
okay? Or when you update the software on it. It's not, it's not like that. It's not like you, you do a software update and you fix the bugs and, and you get rid of all the things that weren't quite working the way that they were supposed to. Now they work a little bit better. That's not what he's talking about here. That's not newness of life. It's more like the idea that you install an entirely new operating system. Okay? Newness of life means that you have new desires, new ambitions, new affections. Because at one time, you lived like God was not even in the picture at all, but now everything in your life is like reoriented completely around him. Now let me ask you this. What could possibly be so powerful that it changes you that completely? Paul tells us the answer right here in verse 4. He says, it's the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. In other words, it is the power of God. It's the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That is the same power that gives you new life. It's the same power that gives me new life. It is the power of God that is teaching you right now in this moment that there is a better way. That you don't have to get stuck in the same patterns, same habits, same routines, same, same trigger points in your life that as soon as those things hit, you all of a sudden veer off the road and you end up in the ditch. You don't have to keep going there. You don't have to keep doing that. You don't have to keep ending up in the same dead ends over and over and over again. And so Paul's point here is to say that we, when we become a Christian, we realize that our old life died on the cross with Jesus so why then would we possibly want to go back to that old life? Why wouldn't we want to live the new life? It's like he's asking here, isn't it so much better to embrace the resurrection reality that when I believe in the risen Christ, I can know that I am forever changed? Now those of you who are here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus like this yet, that it's the invitation of Jesus to you right now, calling out to you right now, the grace of God upon you right now, the grace of God that has brought you to this room right now to hear this message right now from God. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from the things that lead to death. It doesn't have to be the same thing over and over and over and over again. You don't have to keep going down the same dead ends. There is life and there is life in Jesus. This is the good news of Easter, which leads us then to the second main point. I want to jot this down. When I believe in the risen Jesus, I can know that I am forever set free. I can know that I am forever set free. The Bible says in verse 5, notice this, he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So he's saying here that, that if it's true that we're identified with Christ in his death, then it's also true that we are identified with Christ in his resurrection. See, it's so important for us to understand right here, friends, that, that Christianity is not a religion of death. It is a relationship of life. It's a relationship of life. And, and how many of us can testify to that, right? Like, I know there's, there's many people across this room right now, many people across this church in our first service as well, who can testify to the reality. I was just walking along, doing my own thing, living my own life, going my own way, not even realize how lost I was, not realizing how hopeless I was, not even realizing that I needed to be saved from my sins until that one moment when all of a sudden the grace of God just broke through in my life and opened my eyes and helped me to see that I need Jesus to save me from my sins. 
I need the risen Jesus in my life. And since that moment, he has helped me to see all of life as it truly is. Like you could ask a lot of people across this room right now and, and that's the reality within our lives. And so don't miss what he's saying here. That when we believe in the risen Jesus, he says in verse five, we shall certainly. Like just underline those three words in your Bible because those are massive words. This is a great promise. We shall certainly. Listen friends, so many things in this world promise so much and deliver so little. So many things in this world promise so much and deliver so little. So if you're here this morning and you are looking for like an all-in, 100%, flat-out guarantee of something that will completely change your life. Like, understand right now, I'm, this is not an infomercial, okay? Like, I'm not trying to sell you something right now. I'm, I'm not trying to convince you anything. I don't feel any pressure at all to try and convince you of anything this morning. I'm just here to tell you the truth. I'm here to tell you what God says in his word. Like you're not gonna go home later and turn on the shopping channel and there I'm gonna be trying to sell you something. It's not what's going on here, okay? I'm just saying to you, if you are looking for an all-in, flat-out, 100% total guarantee of something that will absolutely change your life, this is it. Right here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, again, is the hope of Easter. He says, we shall certainly... We shall certainly be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. So, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means, now listen, listen very carefully here because this matters so much. It means not only that we have this new life, but it means that this new life is actually the life of the risen Jesus being lived in us. And that is some good news for Easter Sunday. Like this means that living this new life will never be something that you can manufacture on your own. It's never gonna be something that you can orchestrate by yourself or you can bring a few people together and try and figure it all out on your own. It doesn't happen like that. Like, think about it for a second. Why is it that we get so frustrated by the things that go on within our life and then we try to fix those things as best we possibly can but it doesn't work out the way that we wanted it to go and then we just get frustrated over and over and over again? Why do we keep getting frustrated like that? We get frustrated like that because when we try to fix those things that are going on within our lives, we are depending completely on our own power. We're depending on the limits of our own strength, the limits of our own creativity. We're limited by those things. And so when things don't go the way that we expected them to go, it doesn't work out and we get frustrated all over again. But the good news of the gospel is that as a Christian, you have the risen Jesus Christ living in you and not just living in you, you have the risen Jesus Christ living through you. Like, think about that right now. You have resurrection power that is living in you right now as a child of God. That's pretty amazing. And you have that power, not so that you can convince people that your way is the best way. That's not why you have that power. You have that power living in you so that you can live God's way which, by the way, is the best way, right? That's why you have that power within you. Paul says it like this in Galatians chapter two. Up on the screen for you, Galatians chapter two, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ who lives in me. It's the power of Christ that is in me. It's the power of Christ that is through me. Which leads right into what Paul says next in Romans 6, verse 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Huh. Paul says the same thing in both places. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, the old self is who we are apart from God. Totally sinful, not even looking for God, unable to save ourselves. And as a Christian, the old us died with Jesus on the cross. But he tells us why. He says in verse 6, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Here's what he's saying. So, so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. He's saying here that sin expresses itself through our physical bodies. So in order for us to sin less and obey more, and in order for us to truly experience this new life that we have in Jesus Christ, then he says the old us has to die. The old us has to die. See, here's the challenge for us. We look around us and we see this in so many different places that, that before something dies, it first has to live, right? Kind of makes sense, right? Um, we joke around at our house every once in a while that, that we're experts in killing plants and flowers. So, like, we, we got it down, man. So if you have plants and flowers at your house that you need to knock off, just bring them over to our place and we got you covered, man. It's, and it's not that we try to do it. It just kind of happens and not really sure why. But that's kind of how we understand things, right? Before something dies, it first has to live. But when it comes to our relationship with God, he says that it goes the other way. That before you truly live, you first have to die. And he's not talking here so much about a physical death. He's talking about death to our sin. He's talking about realizing that when you become a Christian, your old self that was dominated by sin was crucified on the cross with Jesus. So that old self no longer dominates who you are or what you do. Instead, because that death happened, you are now free to experience life like it was truly meant to be lived. Now you begin to see with far more clarity that death is actually making the way for life. You see this? On Friday, Jesus died. On Sunday, he rose again. Death is actually making the way for life. His death makes the way for his life, and his death and his life makes the way for our life as well. That we have crucified the old self because now when that happens and when you see that death is making the way for life, then it becomes an issue of that, that, that the sin in your life is no longer controlling you. It's the Savior who's controlling you. Fear no longer controls you. Faith controls you. It's not the shame that's defining you. It's the grace that's defining you. Verse 7, he goes on. He says, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. So there it is again. Death is making the way for life. 
that death to our old self is setting us free to live the life that God wanted us to live and has created us to live. Crucifying the old self is actually making the way to live life like it was truly meant to be lived. See, the struggle for so many of us is that as Christians, we're living our life on Saturday. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is that sometimes we get into these patterns, we get into these routines where where so many of us are living our lives between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We're living on Saturday. And we would absolutely affirm and declare and proclaim that we believe that Jesus has died on the cross in our place and for our sins, that, that when Jesus went to the cross on Friday, that he died there for us, that he took the full weight of God's wrath and, and God's anger against our sins so that we could be made right with him, that, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We would absolutely declare and affirm and proclaim that. We believe that in our hearts, but sometimes for us, the struggle is that it's hard for us to believe that the power that raised Jesus on Sunday is the same power that has set us free to truly live our life. Like we believe everything about Friday, we believe that he's risen from the dead, but, but that power within our life, you need to understand that that power within our life, that's the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power of God that is shouting victory from the rooftops and declaring to you, you don't need to live that way anymore. That sin is not you anymore. Jesus is risen from the dead. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And that sin is not you anymore. That past is not you anymore. You are not defined by those things any longer. Sometimes that comes to us in a still, small, gentle whisper and says, it's not you anymore. You don't need to keep going there. You don't need to keep doing that. You don't need to keep going to that relationship that you know is bad for you. You don't need to keep going to the places that, that pull out your fear and your anxiety and your worry and, and keep going back to that. You don't need to keep going there because that's not you any longer. It's not you in Jesus Christ. Paul says it like this in Colossians 3. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Listen, friends, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. See, for Jesus to rise again to new life, he first had to die. And for us to rise again to new life with him, we first have to die to sin. See, death is making the way for life. And for some here this morning, that first step toward life is dying to sin. It's confessing to God that you are a sinner. And understand, it's, it's not simply just confessing to God the sins that you've committed. It's not just saying, God, I've done A, B, C, and D, and and I I realize that that doesn't make you happy, and I need you to forgive me. That's true, but it's also confessing that you are a sinner. It's not simply confessing what you've done. It's confessing who you are, that I'm a sinner that's separated from you, that is in need of your grace and your salvation. And listen, friends, you can do that here today. 
You can do that right here, right now, by the grace of God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and give you the hope of eternal life. Which actually leads us then right into the third and final resurrection reality that we see here in this passage. Number three, when I believe in the risen Jesus, I can know that I will forever live with him. I will forever live with him. Paul says, verse eight, take a look at verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So in other words, we'll live the new life with him right now, but we'll also live with him for all of eternity because that's part of what he's purchased for us. Verse nine, he goes on, and and this is such good news right here in verse nine. This is gonna be a great spot for an amen. Okay, so you ready, you ready? Okay, he says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Amen, amen. Okay, here's another great spot for an amen coming up here. Again, in verse nine, he says, death no longer has dominion over him. Amen, amen. Listen, you want some more good news on Easter? I mean, stick this one in your back pocket and call it Sunday. This means that the resurrection of Jesus is irreversible. Like nothing is going to undo it. Nothing's gonna turn it back around. Nothing's gonna take it back and make it change. Death could not hold him. He is risen from the dead. He is alive. Now, that's good news by itself, but there's more. He says the resurrection of Jesus is irreversible, which means then that our new life and our future resurrection in him is irreversible as well. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the life-changing news of Easter. Jesus is risen from the dead. If the top of the mountain is true, then everything that leads us to the top of the mountain is also true. And he's basically unpacking the truth of the gospel, which he basically sums up here in verse 10. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So what does that mean? God is perfectly holy, which means there is no sin in him. And because of that, we could not be in his presence because we are sinners. The Bible says that God cannot look upon sin, that we have all sinned and we have fallen short of God's perfect standards. So something needed to be done to make three things happen. For us to be forgiven of our sin, for us to be in God's presence, and at the same time for God's justice against our sin to be satisfied. And in one perfect plan of love, God said, here's what I'm going to do. And God says in his word that, that while he is perfectly holy and perfectly just, he is also perfectly loving. He is gracious. And the Bible says that he loves us so much that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of God's punishment for our sins was placed on Jesus when he died on the cross in our place and for our sins. That the blood of Jesus would be shed on the cross because again, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. So in dying for us, in dying for you, Jesus took the full punishment for all of your sins upon himself even though he never committed a single sin in his entire life. That is good news by itself, but there's more. 
In his death, Jesus took the punishment for our sins, but in his resurrection, Jesus broke the power of sin. See, that's what he means here when he says that death no longer has dominion. Death no longer has power over him. Jesus has forever conquered death so that we can forever live. So he says in verse 10, look at it again. It says, verse 10, Jesus died once for all. Like this sacrifice for you and for me will never need to be repeated again. Because it is once for all. Once for all sins and once for all sinners who will believe that Jesus alone can forgive and give you this new life. And then he finishes by saying, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus has been raised from death for the glory of God. This, my friends, is the good news of Easter. Jesus died for our sin and he rose again for our salvation. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to have this new life that we've been talking about today, then we invite you today before you leave, like right here, right now, for you to confess your sinfulness to him and to ask him to give you this new life and he will give it to you. I mean, what better time than Easter Sunday? What better time than, than the, the time that we get together and celebrate new life and celebrate the resurrection? What better time for you to experience new life than right here today, life in Jesus Christ? And listen, we're not just talking about a fresh start. We're not just talking about a new beginning. We're not just talking about a second chance. We are talking about new life. Everything reoriented around Jesus Christ. See, remember how it goes in a relationship with God. In order to truly live in Christ, we must first die to sin. So confess your sins. Confess your sinfulness to him and trust in him to save you. And as Paul said, remember back in verse 5? As he says, you shall certainly be united with him. For those of us here this morning who do know Christ, for those of us who are walking in a relationship of love and grace with him, I want to encourage you again this morning to see again this Easter the difference that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes for you and for me to see again what Christ has accomplished for us, who he has made us to be. Not simply what he's done for us, although that's very important, but who he has truly made us to be. And all because death could not hold him. And because he is alive, we will live forever with him. That is the good news of Easter.